Travel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing The Women of Brewster Place by Gloria Naylor. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. What did you think of this book? I loved it. I really loved it. I can't believe I hadn't read it before. And I have to say, I'm super grateful to two of our patrons, Stacy and Katie, who encouraged us to cover this one on the podcast because I'm not sure how long it would have taken for it to kind of float into our attention otherwise. How about you? I loved it too. It totally took my breath away and it was the perfect reading experience for where I'm at in my reading life right now too. I have been finding that the more perspective shifts in a book, the better anything with interconnected short stories or just lots of flashbacks, time hops, alternating perspectives, anything like that, that just sort of hooks my attention and that I can just get so much in short bursts, but really, I don't know, keeps me reading has been perfect. And so, I mean, beyond this just being beautifully written and such a masterpiece, the structure just totally... The structure just totally met me where I'm at right now. And so it was the perfect book for the perfect time. And I love that kind of experience. I completely agree. It It's short, less than 200 pages, and she draws you right in with that gorgeous writing. I kind of like how the book was front loaded with the longest story. And so you really got immersed in one character's story and then the pace kind of picked up a bit. It was fantastic. Um, And I'm really excited to dive into it with you. I will. I do have to admit one thing, though, before (laughs) before we deep dive. So I am doing a major book reorganization in my home right now. So for part of this week, I could not find my book. (laughs) (laughs) Just couldn't find it. So I downloaded the audiobook, which is fantastic, but abridged. (laughs) So, and I don't know why it's abridged because this book is already very short, but the audiobook is like three and a half hours long and a lot is taken out. So there are a couple of the chapters in the middle where I didn't get a chance to go back and reread in the paper form once I found it, that I'm probably missing some things from. (laughs) So you can fill me in and then I'll go back and reread at some point because a lot of the details the abridged audiobook takes out are really pretty crucial. So that's just interesting. If, If any listeners were thinking about doing the audio, at least the one on Audible, is abridged. So know that going in. Well, I'll fill you in as needed, but I will say, I mean, the really big story arcs, I think, happen at the beginning and end. I mean, Mm -hmm. this book is truly, I mean, there are literal bookends. It opens with basically a prologue called Dawn and ends with Dusk. And so there's such a story arc that builds, but I feel like there's a lot to talk about without even, without even touching on the middle chapters that you might have missed some things in, but we will get there. And I don't know about you, Sarah, but I I knew because there's a stamp on my copy of the book that this was a National Book Award winner. After reading it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like the most well-deserved <laughs> National Book Award ever. It was so good. It is so good. And I, I'm kind of surprised this never really crossed my path, but in other ways, 
I'm not, just because it was written in the early 1980s. And that can be like a gap in my reading life because so many classes that I took focused on books that were written before that. And I, unfortunately, I think also like being a story that centers around a cast of black women maybe has been part of what has kept this book out of classrooms just because of who historically the gatekeepers of academia have have been. And as we've talked about multiple times on this show, what academics have long considered to be universal stories and the ones that they have not considered to be that and what gets prioritized. So I'm just, I'm so glad that we are talking about this. It is a beautiful book. Should we talk a little bit about the structure and and the writing style before we get more into characters? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. I'll also say, as you were talking about missing this in the classroom, I loved the forward in the paperback copy. There's a forward by Tiari Jones. And Mine she, didn't have that, but I saw that on yours and I was hoping yes. you read it and could tell me about it. <laughs> well, it I mean, it's great because it's Tyree Jones, but she mentions reading this at Spellman mm. and she says, I often say that you haven't read a novel until you have read it at Spellman College and it's a historically black college for women. And so in 1990, she was an English major at Spellman. And she took a course called Images of Women in Literature, and the women of Brewster Place was marked mandatory. Jane Eyre was merely recommended. (laughs) I love that, especially since Jane Eyre is our (laughs) September read, just seeing the juxtaposition of those on on the curriculum um, was, I don't know, it was just a really fun tidbit. And... She said that they used the novel to explore what it meant to be a Black woman after the civil rights movement when you still haven't, like, reached full equity and equality and fully reached all the goals of that movement. And she just, I don't know, it's it's great. So if you get a chance to find the foreword by her in this paperback version, it was really good. Often those show up online in various literary journals. So I'll, I'll try, try to find it. And I, I feel like this would be a great one to study in a college class. I do think it'd be hard for high school because of the themes and because of the content. And we should say upfront that there are a lot of content warnings for this book and there are quite a few scenes that are pretty brutal and and graphic nothing gratuitous like everything has a purpose and that i could just say that about every aspect of gloria naylor's writing every word in here has a has a purpose but know that going into this discussion and this book we will be kind of touching on certainly domestic violence and sexual assault loss of a child. There's there are a lot of hard things in this book. Yeah, that's a really good point and something that I didn't I didn't know going in, but it didn't didn't impact my reading experience um personally in any way. Even though of course I mean like yep. my heart broke and <laughs> jumped out of its chest and like I I felt all of these things, but um I agree with you that Gloria Naylor is just such a skilled writer and it didn't feel gratuitous. It didn't feel like things were added for shock value. It was, um, I don't know, it was just all very real and so well written. And purposeful. So, okay, we've we've kind of gushed about this, <laughs> this book already. That's pretty much going to be the theme of this episode, I think. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about the structure of the book. You already started hinting at it. There are bookends at the beginning and end, kind of a almost a prologue and an epilogue where we get a little bit more information about Brewster Place, the, the setting. And then it is described as a novel in seven stories. So sandwiched in between dawn and dusk, we have seven short stories 
that each feature a different woman or a couple women of Brewster Place. Some are longer, some are shorter. But she calls this a novel in seven stories, which I think is important because we are supposed to read it as one one single story. That's the umbrella for these short stories. I was just looking at the prologue again because I think I'm I'm going to make this recommendation without having fully done it myself. But um, I think that after you finish and you've read Dusk, going back to Dawn and rereading some of that makes for a really powerful experience. Um, because I just think it's, you can see the craft and the way that Gloria Naylor just creates this really intricate arc and weaves these stories together. But I also was just looking at the prologue because I, gosh, her writing, this really is going to be like just Sarah and Chelsea fangirl episode, Mm -hmm. But her writing is so beautiful. I mean, Dawn starts out in in the first paragraph. You might not necessarily gather that because it's about the like basics of the company that bought Brewster Place and the city giving um, X amount of money and just sort of like the politics of it. But at the end of Dawn you just get this really heartfelt description of the women of Brewster Place, which are, of course, the center of the novel more more than the setting, even though they're really intertwined with Brewster Place itself. And I'll just read like the last two sentences. They were hard-edged, soft-centered, brutally demanding, and easily pleased, these women of Brewster Place. They came, they went, grew up, and grew old beyond their years. Like an ebony phoenix, each in her own time and with her own season, had a story. It's so lovely. And then we get Maddie's story. She is the first woman of Brewster Place. And like you said, this is the longest story that we get. It's actually even like broken down into sections within the short story. And then Maddie appears in each subsequent story, which I loved every time that she Mm -hmm. popped up. You just felt, I don't know, you just felt her maternal presence in the same way that the characters did. You just, every time Maddie showed up throughout the rest of the novel, I felt like, oh, someone's going to be taken care of here. Um, I just, I thought that that was really lovely. I agree. I, I loved, I loved her story. It was so heartbreaking and and not the way that I anticipated it to go. It really becomes a story about motherhood and her love for her son and the, the heartbreak and disappointment that comes with that, but also a story about the bonds of female friendship. In this really lovely way. And there's so much of that throughout this book. That was one of my favorite, favorite themes. There is, there's just one quote from Maddie's story that I, oh my gosh, it's just Naylor's writing. She manages to capture emotion so well in these really vivid images. And I, There's just this one part of Maddie's story, this one paragraph, and I feel like the sort of theme gets pulled throughout the rest of the novel. So let's see. This is on page 35 of my copy. It says, Time's passage through the memory is like molten glass that can be opaque or crystallized at any given moment at will. A thousand days are melted into one conversation, one glance, one hurt, and one hurt can be shattered and sprinkled over a thousand days. It is silent and elusive, refusing to be damned and dripped out day by day. It swirls through the mind when an entire lifetime 
can ride like foam on the deceptive transparent waves and get sprayed onto the consciousness at ragged, unexpected intervals. She's so good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just chills. And that's not the first place that I got chills, but it was where I really was like, okay, I I mean, I'm just really going to be into the writing of this novel. But that... I I just also really felt after that passage, like memory and sort of seeing how single instances in someone's life impact them and spin out. Okay, that's what we're going for here. Mm-hmm. And it proves to be true because, I mean, this is a composite novel, like we said. There are seven characters. We get seven stories that are tied together. And so we do see the characters again and we kind of, get a little bit more backstory, but it it does ring true that we're just getting a little slice of life in each story, but then we're sort of expanding that out into how the ripple effect sort of went across the community or how that instance of their life affected them later on and to be able to do that in under 200 pages and really convey such a big theme or convey such a big idea is remarkable to me. Yeah, I I really like how you put that. And I think that this book would be well-loved by readers who who prefer character-driven novels, as well as those who prefer plot-driven novels, because so much happens in each single story. And Slice of Life is such a great way to put it, that she is just, she's choosing the moments that she shares and telling the story in such a way where she's communicating so much about each person through these sometimes well, they're rarely small events. They're major moments in, in their lives, but they're singular. But we learn so much from those singular moments. Is there one specific section or story that you can think of that really conveys that for you or just a favorite that you'll be thinking about? Yeah, I, I don't want to choose a favorite. But I I will say I think that um, one of the ones that had maybe a smaller moment and so kind of lend itself to communicating that powerful theme is Kiswana's story where um, her, she's a young 20 something woman. She's just moved into, to Brewster place and her mother comes and visits her for the first time. And we're really, it's not first person, but we are much more in Kiswana's mind than her mother. And so we know that she's worried about her mom coming in and judging where she lives and being kind of cynical and nitpicky about, you know, the life that Kiswana has chosen. And the way, um, the way Naylor fills in the details where we learn, okay, oh, like, you know, she came from a wealthy family and you know chose for these reasons not to to finish college and they have different political views and i i loved that intergenerational clash that was happening i loved this quote from it this is in kiswana's perspective and she looked at the blushing woman on her couch and suddenly realized that her mother had trod through the same universe that she herself was now traveling Kiswana was breaking no new trails and would eventually end up just two feet away on that couch. She stared at the woman she had been and was to become. That could be a theme of this entire book as well. Well, everybody's stories are so different and singular. There's so much overlap in the emotions experienced. Gloria Naylor really ends these stories well. Yeah. You are either left sort of with your heart soaring. I mean, at the end of that chapter with Kiswana and her mother, I mean, I was just warmed from the inside out. 
or you get to the end of a story and your heart's just in the pit of your stomach um, or there's just something for you to think about. She just sticks the landing on the story mm-hmm. so well. And then the the transition to the next one is so seamless and lovely. So I don't know. I'm just really, I marvel at the craft. Yeah, the endings of the stories tended to be really memorable for me. Like I loved in Etta's chapter, Etta Mae Johnson, she's Maddie's best friend. And she gets home and she notices that Maddie is still awake and she's listening to her music. And this just like really, it, it hits Etta that she is like, oh, I'm so grateful. Like I have someone to come home to. She's She was waiting up for me. And there's this sort of realization, especially with what else happens in her story of, I don't necessarily need a husband to be waiting up for me or to be there for me or concerned about my whereabouts because I have Maddie. And that theme comes up later throughout the novel as well of what kind of relationships do you need in your life? Where can you get love and fulfillment that isn't necessarily from a romantic relationship? I think Maddie is the one who says, well, I love a lot of women in my life. Like I, I love you and I love Seal who is like a daughter to her. And she's like, I don't, I don't know that it's really that much different from the love that I would have had for a man. And Ada is like, I don't know. Are you sure it might be kind of different? <laughs> but Maddie says, I don't know. I guess it's a little strange to think about, but I just, she just keeps talking about how that those relationships have been so fulfilling for her. And so I think, I mean, that one story can be as that theme, but then of course it's threaded throughout. Yeah. That conversation at the end is, or towards the end is delightful, even though it precedes maybe the hardest moment of, of the book, but there are those like little sprinklings of not just warmth and love and connection, but also humor throughout and just the way she balances the tone of this book it all comes together so cohesively she's capturing the full breadth of the human experience mm-hmm. in short stories mm-hmm. I mean it's it's just that's why I can't stop gushing because the the talent that that takes and just to like you said, she is so intentional. Every word matters and every scene matters and holds meaning. It's just, I don't know. I think it's really remarkable. I'm always far more impressed by authors who can capture, like I said, the breadth of the human experience in smaller bits and pieces compared to the 1200 page novels that are supposed to be like, I don't know, the weight of human existence is in this tome. <laughs> um, not that those don't have their merit, but this is always far more impressive to me. I agree. And I I really want to read like everything she's written. She, her collection of work reminds me a bit of Louise Erdrich, who has talked about, you know, how she has like this whole kind of community living in her mind. And as the stories come to her, she adds onto it. And that's why so many of her books are interconnected. And I, I mean, I, I don't know that Gloria Naylor feels the same way about the writing process or how the characters come to her, but she has a book called The Men of Brewster Place. And she has a book called Linden Hills, which I would really like to read, which is the wealthy black community where Kiswana's mom lives. And just, I, I want to be in her expanded, the Gloria Naylor expanded universe. It just, cause her, not only is her writing so well done, but she's just creating these characters who are so real to me after reading this book. I want to see if they show back up in her other work. I want to see, you know, what else she has to say about the world outside of Brewster Place. 
I will definitely be continuing reading her her works. I totally agree. And I I think something that is so interesting here is as incredible as Naylor is at crafting individual characters who feel real in and of themselves by doing that and then connecting their lives she really does create this sense of a full community so you get to see Brewster Place go from like its early days to its later days because this novel spans quite a stretch of time not just in terms of the flashbacks but in terms of like Brewster Place itself mm-hmm. and, you know, the the block, um, the housing units. And you get to see sort of like how it went from its early days to the days when it's starting to fall apart and it's in need of repair and people are needing to come together and they're, they're trying to just form their community and try to sue the landlord basically to get things fixed because they care about their home. Um, But there's also so much symbolism wrapped up in that. And yeah, I would be very curious to read about her other communities. I also, it's interesting that you bring up Louise Erdrich because I think that is a really great comparison here. Not only just in the way that she has all of these characters living in her head and these families and communities that sort of, um, spin out into different stories but in that last chapter where all of the women have the same dream mm-hmm. that feels very Erdrich-esque to me um, and there's uh, the last couple of chapters almost veer into the magical realism in a, in a sense where you get these dreams you get this shared dream among women and then you get basically a a dream from Maddie that's it's a little unclear in that final chapter um but yeah that feels it it starts to um pull in this subconsciousness or this I don't know this different thread that feels a little different from what we've gotten in the rest of the novel so far I'm not sure what to make of that last chapter and that dream, but it was powerful nonetheless and something I will really be thinking about. I do think you're right that it highlights that theme of connectedness and community and the the dream that they are all having is of a horrific assault on one of the women of Brewster Place, and they all kind of dream that they witness it or were experiencing it themselves. And that that kind of, I think, brings questions of like a sort of shared trauma, a shared, um, yeah, like a shared trauma at, that these women have. Yet at the same time, there's like real strength in how they bolster and support each other through that. The fact that they all connect with each other through that feels like something to celebrate in a way, if that makes sense. Even though, of course, like the events are are something to mourn. Well, and it's literally, I mean, the horrific rape scene and then the subsequent dreaming literally takes place before they have a block party mm-hmm. where they are they are celebrating, but they're also raising money to put back into Brewster Place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think you're you're totally on track with that. And just based on how the events are structured, Naylor makes that clear that it isn't this is not. It's not a novel of like, oh, all of these these poor black women who have experienced so much hardship. That is not that is not the point here. The point is how they lean on each other and um, and yes, experience some really, really tough times and traumas. But um, how they have softness in their friendships and Mm -hmm. how they have the 
gentleness of their their mothering instincts towards each other and for themselves and how they can allow themselves to break down when they're with each other because they don't need to stand on their own. They don't need to um, stand in their own strength. They have that community. They have those friendships. And just how, I just can't get over how important those friendships are. I mean, that is truly like what, literally, it seems like, what holds the building up, right? At the end of this book, we get this really interesting scene that seems like it's this dream of Maddie's where they're ripping the bricks out of the building. Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I feel like I'm starting to talk in circles because I don't think, A, I don't think I'm qualified to say exactly like, oh, this is what this means. <laughs> um, I also just, think um Naylor is operating on some really interesting levels that are worth discussing and that I don't know could take many rereads to grapple with I completely agree and I am I I think maybe we should get into our pairings because I'm just so curious about what other books you think speak to this, but I also want to put out there for our listeners, if you haven't yet joined our Classics Club, the Women of Brewster Place is our book club read for August, and I am so excited to talk about it with our literature scholars because I think always with a book that moves through so many different perspectives the more readerly perspectives you can then hear from add so much to an understanding of of the work. So head over to Patreon if you're interested in talking about this with us and our Classics Club. We'd love to have you at at that book club meeting at the end of the month. So I, I mean, I think we are both giving our wholehearted endorsement to if you have not read this one, please do. It's really wonderful. This is one of those classics that we do hope you read. Yeah, I'm glad we got the chance to chat about it. I'm excited to chat about it more. And I'm really eager to hear what you paired with this one. Sarah, you mentioned listening to the Women of Brewster Place on audio. We are huge proponents of listening to classic literature on audio, but we're just audiobook lovers in general, and that is in large part thanks to our partner, Libro FM. Have you been listening to anything good on Libro FM lately? Yes, I just started Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. It is a book that I've been wanting to read since it came out. I love Maggie Shipstead. This is historical fiction um, about a female pilot, and it is on the Booker long list. Normally, I choose audiobooks that are closer to like 10-ish hours. This one's 25, but I just felt ready for something longer, and it's so good on audio. I am loving it. It's keeping me company as I reorganize my books, as I take my walks. It's it's excellent. How about you? I just started listening to the advanced listening copy of Apples Never Fall by Leon Moriarty. I love listening to her books because she always has this great Australian narrator. And it is just fun to listen to a sort of twisty book on audio that keeps you hooked. I get excited to open my Libro FM app and listen to Leon Moriarty. So that's what I've got going on right now. And listeners, you can sign up for Libro FM to get your audiobook game going and support independent bookstores when you sign up. You can choose your favorite local or cross-country independent bookstore to support with every download. And we've got a code for you in the show notes. Well, Chelsea, I am very excited to hear about your Brewster Place pairings. What is your first pairing for our classic today? 
My first pairing is The Yellow House by Sarah M. Broom. This is a memoir and a National Book Award winner for nonfiction. So I didn't even realize that tie-in until I started to talk about it. Um, But that is a fun tie to The Women of Brewster Place. The Yellow House, as it won this National Book Award and started to sort of gain more acclaim in the literary scene, the main thing that kept coming up about it was its unique structure. Sarah Broom really structures her memoir as a house and she's doing things on multiple layers here that feel, it just, it feels very structurally, not necessarily similar, but um, genius in the way that Gloria Naylor and the women of Brewster places. So the yellow house is both a memoir of Sarah Broom's family and the home that her mother bought in 1961. But then it also ends up being a story about all of New Orleans and ends up sort of being about the neglect, the neglect of her her home over the years and just how the city changes around it ends up being related to Sarah Broom taking this lens and sort of zooming out to what happened pre and post Hurricane Katrina to the city and just what happened to the communities there. And it's really, really, um, it really is genius structure wise. And it was unlike any other memoir that I had ever read. And it's really good. I think if you are really invested in uh, like personal or family memoirs, you might like this, but you have to be, um, you don't have to be, but I think if you are interested in sort of stories that zoom out more and also connect to a broader, bigger picture, this would be a book for you. So the writing is great. I think many of the same themes are threaded throughout the Yellow House and the Women of Brewster Place, but mostly um, I just, I think both books take the literal structure of a home or a complex and zoom out in ways that capture, like I said, the human experience or a community and, you know, how how outside events shape the community. So that is The Yellow House by Sarah M. Broom. I really want to read that. It's I have it and I plan to read it soon. Um, and speaking of books I want to read, my first pairing, I'm switching things around a little bit because I think this pairing will pair well with yours, is a book that I haven't read yet. And I very rarely do this, but I... I'm confident in this pairing, so I'm just going to go for it. My first pairing is Memorial Drive, A Daughter's Memoir by Natasha Trethewey. I'm confident because I've read enough of Natasha Trethewey's poetry and essays that I know how phenomenal her writing is, and a lot of really trusted readers have loved this memoir. And yeah, I, I think it sounds like it would pair really, really well with the women of Brewster Place. So Natasha Trethewey, she was the United States Poet Laureate for, I don't know how long those 10 years are, but in I think she was appointed in 2012. And she is an absolutely phenomenal writer who, who does write quite a bit about um, her personal experience as a black woman, but also about the, her poetry can be rather political in the best way. And also she writes a lot about grief. And I think that comes quite a bit from the, an experience she had as a teenager. I think she was 18 or 19 when her mother was murdered by an ex-partner. And in Memorial Drive, she explores that that event in her life. And much like the women of Brewster Place, this is a story about how, you know, one event shapes an entire 
an entire life. And she she tells, you know, her mother's story, but also her own kind of reflection on it and how it impacted her career path, but also how she thinks about her identity and her relationships. And I I think that I mean not having read this, I will be curious if this is the case, but the fact that the book is called Memorial Drive and gives, you know, the the title of the book to the place where this event occurred makes me think that there is some reflection to or at least um that she evokes a strong sense of place like the women of Brewster Place does. Um, That place is super important. And also the themes of mothers and daughters, whether that's biological mothers and daughters or the women who who mother other women in their maternal ways, regardless of their relationship, is so prominent in the women of Brewster Place. So I, I love the idea of pairing it with a mother and daughter story. So I will report back when I do read this, and I probably will listen to it on Libro FM because that kind of lyrical language works so well on audio. Another reason this would be a great pairing is the language. Uh, Naylor writes in many ways like a poet. And yeah, I'll, I'll keep everyone posted in our newsletter or our Instagram when I read this and and any other connections that come up for me. But that is Memorial Drive by Natasha Trethaway. All right. My next pairing feels very much like the daughter of the women of Brewster Place. It is totally <laughs> The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia. And I loved this short story collection. These stories aren't interconnected in the sense that they form a novel arc together, but I listened to this on my first read of it, and I just remember thinking that they flowed really seamlessly from one to the other, and they do feel connected by theme. I think that Tisha Filia is so skilled at doing so much in a short number of pages, which feels very Gloria Naylor-esque to me. I loved this short story collection. Many people have loved this short story collection. What Disha Filia is doing is telling the stories of Black women and girls who are following their desires, exploring their identities, sort of um, navigating the world's double standards for them, as well as the church. It's called The Secret Lives of Church Ladies for a reason. There are certain stories that, as I was reading The Women of Brewster Place, I thought like, oh, that reminds me of one of Philia's stories. That reminds me of this story. I mean, there's a story about a woman having an affair with a reverend. Um, There is at least one story, I think, about a lesbian couple um, living together and navigating their relationship. So there are some very specific and strong connections from the secret lives of church ladies to the women of Brewster Place. But I mean, I think when we talk about slice of life stories that really capture and speak to the human experience and then um, and really specifically speak to black women's unique experiences in the world um, and don't turn them into a monolith, but share just like this prism of vastly different experiences in one collection. I just, I think that if you, if you like the secret lives of church ladies, you have to read the women of Brewster Place. And if you loved the women of Brewster Place, you have to read the secret lives of church ladies. They just feel like such a perfect pairing to me. So that is the secret lives of church ladies by Disha Filia. And I think I could wax poetic about it for much longer. So I'll leave it there. (laughs) My next pairing is also a short story collection. It's Filthy Animals by Brandon Taylor. And I mentioned this on the podcast a while ago. It was one of my anticipated reads of winter, maybe. And then I finally got around to reading it. It is a collection of interconnected stories where, much like in um, 
the women of Brewster Place, we see characters who were side characters in one story show up as the main character in in another, and they weave in and out of, of each other's lives. This collection focuses on kind of like a group of friends, but maybe more young people who are like thrown together because of circumstance than like a, a cohesive group of, of friends. They, you know, all live in the same area, go to school in the same, in the same place, that kind of thing. And many of them are young creatives, which is an interesting avenue that Taylor is exploring. So it's really the structure of this for me that connects it with the women of Brewster Place. This one is interesting because every other story is part of that interconnected collection. And the ones sandwiched in between are standalone, but they have similar themes. I definitely think that the interconnected ones are stronger. I almost wish that the other ones were pulled out to make this more of a cohesive collection. But it's still, I mean, all of his his stories are very well written. His his writing is quite poetic as as well. And one of the things that really kind of brought this to mind for a pairing for the women of Brewster Place is that this story starts, this collection starts with a story called The Potluck or Potluck. And Brewster Place ends with the block party. And so it's kind of like a reverse where this story starts with a scene of community coming together um, for a shared event over food. And then we kind of see the individual stories, whereas Brewster Place starts with the individual stories and then works towards that. So it just leapt to mind for the story titles and the structure. And yeah, I think if you if you like short story collections or if you are new to short story collections and that interconnectedness helps you because it feels more like a novel, then Filthy Animals by Brandon Taylor is a great one to pick up. Okay, my last pairing is Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. And I'm actually reading this right now. So perhaps it's a little bit of recency bias. Um, But first of all, I'm loving it. It's really, really good. It's been a propulsive read so far and also fits in with the sort of alternating perspectives, a lot of flashbacks. It's just really working for my brain in the same way that the women of Brewster Place did. But Seven Days in June is a romance novel. And something we didn't really get to talk about today is just the sensuality of Naylor's writing and many of the scenes in The Women of Brewster Place. There is really this sensuality to her imagery and her descriptions to the women and their lives and the way that they interact with sex and romance. And um, I just, I think that's a theme that is explored for sure in the women of Brewster Place. And so I wanted to go with a book that is adjacent to that. So I'm going with a romance and seven days in June, I think fits in here for a lot of reasons. So quick synopsis, you have your main characters, um, Eva Mercy. She is a single mom and a best-selling erotica writer. She writes this like vampire werewolf fantasy kind of series, and it's super popular. Um, and then she gets invited to this black literary event, and she feels really out of place because she has never been invited among the black literati. She is like, none of these people are going to know my romance novels. I'm in a niche genre. And then Shane walks in. He is a heralded literary fiction writer. And he rarely makes appearances. He walks in as she's on this panel and they like invite him on stage. Their eyes meet and you know, like they knew each other before. Something is here. Sparks fly immediately. There's like this tension. The way he talks about her romance novels signals that he's been reading her books. She's been reading his books 
They've each based characters on each other. So you know they have a history. So the book does spend part of the time in the present with them and part of the time exploring their past together. And it's just really, really good the way that this gets tied together and the structure is really great. Um, I think it's always fun to have that sort of meta, a writer writing about writers. But um, Shane and Eva both have really traumatic experiences in their past that were sort of what brought them together at the age of 15 or 16 many years ago. And so the title comes from they sort of fell in love over seven days when they were young teenagers and now over the course of seven days, are they going to fall in love again? And like I said, the just the structure, I think the um, the way that their traumas are explored and also just the um, the romance of it. They, I can really see some ties to the women of Brewster Place here. Um, but there's also, I, I think there's a really interesting exploration of motherhood in this book. There's just, I, there's a lot here that to me ties into the women of Brewster Place. And I do hope that the romance label doesn't turn people off from Seven Days in June because I think it is one of those unique romances that could appeal to people who don't consider themselves romance readers. Um, and it's it's just really, really good. And I am going to be shouting about it for a while, I think. So Seven Days in June by Tia Williams, I think would be a really great pairing for Brewster Place. That's on my list. And I think you're right. I've heard from a lot of non-romance readers that they really loved this book. So I, I think it has great crossover appeal. My final pairing is another short story collection. It is Milk, Blood, Heat by Dontiel Moniz. And this collection, it's set in Florida. And it's not set in like one apartment complex or even one city in Florida, but the connection of the, pl the place that brings all of these stories together is very important to this book. Um, certainly the heat, the humidity, the, I don't know, like a lot of the stories take place kind of on in the parts of Florida where you feel like you're right up against like swamp and just like where um, the urban and like the wild are butting up against each other. And, and so that setting is really evocative here. And most of these stories focus on the lives of, of black and brown young girls and women, not exclusively like the women of Brewster place, but certainly the best stories are focused on are focused on women and their coming of age stories and their personal reckonings. And these stories too are similarly focused on really, for the most part, intense moments in their protagonists' lives. So whether the the opening story is extremely powerful about a 13-year-old girl who's experiencing a lot of depression and anxiety and how she's attempting to share and describe that to a friend. There's a story about a woman who experiences, who has recently experienced a miscarriage and how that kind of has impacted her. So these stories are intense. They are similar to Women of Brewster Place very much slice of life stories, but about those big moments, not necessarily the quiet, small moments of life. And I think really um, the book is doing similar things with reflecting on how some moments change everything. So yeah, I think I think this pairs very well. It's a much more contemporary 
examination of womanhood and and girlhood and is certainly looking at some different aspects of of life but i think she's doing similar things as well these aren't again they're not interconnected so similar to the secret lives of church ladies it feels more like the the connection is in the theme and some of the characters we meet rather than the structure but i think that if you've already read the secret lives of church ladies and you've already read the women of brewster place milk blood heat might be the next book you pick up in this the similar vein you know have to bump that one up my tbr yeah i will say that this is one of those collections where I think there are some stories that are a lot stronger than others. I almost always feel that way with short story collections. And it doesn't bother me because I just think that's like when you read an author's collection of novels Mm -hmm. as well, there's going to be one novel or two that just speak to you more than the others. But I, I don't know. I always like to say that because I do think that sometimes as readers, we go in and if every story isn't like perfection, we're a little disappointed. Um, and there are also a lot of trigger warnings for Milk Blood Heat. So be sure to look those up for yourself before you pick it up. Sarah, do you have a pick of the week before we close out our conversation today? I do. And it's been a while since I've listened to this. So I'm just going to give the briefest of overviews. But the Promise podcast, did you listen to that? No, I don't I think, think I've ever heard of it. It's just a like six part mini series um, from like Nashville's public radio station. And but I think it was like an award winning podcast when it came out in, I don't know, 2018, 2017, somewhere around that. And it is a podcast about one of the housing projects in Nashville and about how this community has changed so much over you know the the years it covers but it's really told from the perspective of the residents so you hear their voices what their community means to them how it's changed how they want it to continue changing um so it really kind of feels like a non-fiction version of the women of Brewster Place where we're hearing the stories of people from a single community and how the city has kind of left them behind, but how they are um, trying to kind of rally together to improve their community. So it's it's really, really well done. And it's called The Promise. I am changing mine a little bit. I'll still link. I have an NPR article that was about the reissue of Gloria Naylor's book. Um, And there's just some interesting history about the 1983 National Book Award because Alice Walker won for fiction and Gloria Naylor won for debut fiction. And there was a lot of controversy in the literary world because, oh my goodness, two Black women won the National Book Award. What are we going to do? And that that history, I think, is worth exploring and learning about. Um, But... The Stacks podcast hosted by Tracy Thomas. She has this great episode with Disha Filia. She interviews her about the secret lives of church ladies and they talk about short story collections. And it is just an excellent, excellent interview. And I really loved that episode. So I think you could probably listen to it before or after you pick up that short story collection. So I will add that in the show notes as well. That is the Stacks podcast, and it is an interview with Disha Filia. That was a great episode. That's a great recommendation. All right. Well, I loved getting the chance to read this book and talk about it with you, Chelsea. And as we mentioned, The Women of Brewster Place is our August book club pick for our literature scholars over on Patreon. So we would love to have you join our Patreon community this August and join us at that event on the last Wednesday of August. In addition to monthly book clubs, each month we also share a literary class and Friday bonus episodes with our Patreon Classics Club community. You can find all of that 
at patreon.com slash novel pairings. We can't wait to hear your thoughts on the women of Brewster Place and would love to connect with you on Instagram. So find us at novel pairings pod. Be sure to tag us in your bookish photos or send us a message to say hello. If you would like some bonus links related to today's book selection and to peek at what we're reading lately, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at novelpairings.substack.com. And of course, if you can take two minutes to write a review on Apple Podcasts, we are always grateful for those. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with our quarterly wrap-up, discussing our favorite books of the summer season. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book. Thank you.